You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported. Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I'm Abe Shapiro. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, August 31st, 2022. Later in the program, Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton presented a $229 million budget to the City Council this week. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, Red Flags on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. But first, your local headlines. During the Monroe County Board of Health meeting on August 25th, Assistant Director of Public and Environmental Health at Indiana University, Graham McKean, gave an update on IU's COVID-19 numbers. Happy to give an update from IU. Uh, as you all know, we're at the start of the semester, and with that, we've seen a bit of an uptick in COVID. Um, not really surprising as we just kind of passed the peak of BA5 nationally. And now we're getting every back to everyone back together again, and certainly they are back if you've been outside of your house or door. <laughs> and we tend to have our largest numbers uh, of the week on Mondays, and that's held true this week. And we've seen successively lower cases throughout the week, and I think that will hold today as well. And if I can say historically with COVID, uh, we seem to kind of peak out at the start of the semester in week two or three. So we kind of expect that same pattern as well. Um, and kind of where we are right now uh, in regards to COVID-19, uh, we did align with uh, newer CDC guidance related to exposure and isolation. And we are still providing and offering testing. Uh, we Folks could get antigen tests on campus or uh, we have drop-off PCR testing, um, saliva-based PCR test kits in our vending machines. And folks can use those for any style, uh, whether that's symptomatic, asymptomatic, um, travel related or whatever. Uh, we did reopen those labs on August 8th. Uh, we wanna continue to promote that because we'd like to see more um, labs uh, samples being run uh, and it is available to any IU constituent. Uh, most testing appears to be symptomatic based on the positivity rates, which are generally higher and I'd say about in line with the national average right now. A board member asked for clarification on IU's positivity rate right now. McKean responded that it's on par with the national average. Well, I'd say closer. I think the last check around 15%, which is about the national rate. And again, I think, I think it's we've had such low numbers of tests through our, our new labs since we've reopened. And so I uh, hope to see more of that as well. Uh, but a lower rate would be nice. Um, so we're still asking folks to self-report their positivity. Um, if they use an antigen test or a non-IU saliva test. And we still have required vaccination or exemption reporting for all faculty, students, and staff, um, as we have in, in previous years. And we've modified our case investigation and contact tracing a bit as things have evolved. Um, so starting over the summer, uh, we still have the ability to view cases by faculty, students, staff, department, residence hall, Greek house, 
And so we could still identify a lot of potential clusters and those kind of things. And we still meet every morning at 9 a.m. to review cases and talk all things COVID or chief health officer related. And our incident management team for COVID um, is also meeting every Monday, Wednesday, Friday to discuss related matters. But contact tracing is, um, I don't know if we can call it that, essentially automated at this point. Uh, it's a form that folks fill out after they report their diagnosis or after their IU positive test is reported. And they can give us some details about their exposure. They can list the number of IU-related close contacts that they have. And if they report a high number of close contacts, or if there's something that's getting our attention through our other surveillance, uh, we will reach out to those folks to get more information. Uh, we are asking people to notify their own close contacts, and we provide them a link with our guidance uh, for those that are exposed. McKean offered his help in the wastewater surveillance program, saying it will be incredibly helpful in their ability to monitor the virus moving forward. He also mentioned there have been no reported cases of monkeypox on campus as of last Thursday. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, 162 cases of monkeypox were reported in Indiana as of August 30th. McKean talked about the university's preparations for the monkeypox virus. In terms of monkeypox, uh, to our knowledge, no known or suspected cases at IU Bloomington. Um, doing a lot of preparation, education, outreach, and developing internal guidance, whether that's public health guidance, cleaning guidance, isolation guidance. Um, very happy that um, Positive Link is offering walk-in vaccination at Pride and has vaccination available here. That's awesome, and we want to promote that and get that to our high-risk groups early in the semester to help avoid uh, any cases or clusters. Uh, we are also working with IUPUI and Marion County Health Department. We're going to have um, a pop-up clinic on campus at, at uh, Indianapolis in September and October. And I believe Positive Link was on campus today uh, for some education at our um, some of our, our student organizations. And uh, really happy to also hear that IU Health will start in-house testing for monkeypox on Monday. Excellent news. And we'll have the ability to funnel uh, samples there with that shorter turnaround time. IU Health opened up a lab this week that will serve as the primary testing site for monkeypox in Indiana. Public health nurse at IU Health, Sally Hudson, said they have a nurse available for monkeypox needs. Uh, we have a nurse available on Fridays now for monkeypox needs. If any questions or concerns or cases come up, we've had fewer than five monkeypox cases confirmed in Monroe County to date. And we do have systems set up coordinating with Positive Link to handle cases and testing as needed and vaccination um, of um, case contacts if needed. Um, Positive Link is vaccinating some at-risk clients, as you know, with monkeypox vaccine pre-exposure. And um, as I said, the County Health Clinic or Public Health Clinic is able to vaccinate confirmed case close contacts. Um, and we are pre-positioned with the vaccine for that purpose. A board member asked if IU Health is having problems with supply for the monkeypox vaccine. Hudson responded that they do have the vaccine available to meet the current demand, but are looking to increase supply in the near future. She said they are coordinating with the state for more testing capabilities. The Monroe County Board of Health will meet again in a hybrid capacity on October 13th. 
Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton presented a $229 million budget to the City Council this week. According to a City press release, this marks a 29% increase over the 2022 budget. This week, the Bloomington City Council continues to meet over the budget hearings at 6 p.m. On Monday evening, Mayor Hamilton gave some context behind his proposed budget increase. So to the budget. Uh, First, with some essential context. Let's remember what we've been through in recent years. A a once-in-a-century global pandemic, a major recession, the worst U.S. presidency in history, an accelerating climate emergency, pernicious ongoing realities of racial and other discrimination, continued radical agendas from our state government on guns, public education, and now most outrageously on reproductive rights, effectively banning abortions in Indiana as of 17 days from today. In the face of all this, since 2020, we have a powerful and welcome partner in the federal government with the CARES Act, the American Rescue Plan, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, CHIPS, and more. And locally since 2020, we have together invested through Recover Forward to protect and advance our community, all with the incredible essential public servants in the city of Bloomington. During hard times to be a public servant, I might add, as many in this room know. Amid all of these challenges and with our mutual commitments, we have made great progress, 1,100 plus units of affordable housing, significant local wage growth, unprecedented new digital equity programs and new infrastructure on the horizon, always improving outstanding parks and trails, our Hopewell and Trades District projects, essential investments in economic development, including our arts and local food sectors, and our potential convention center and showers city hall expansions. As, and as you well know as well, City of Bloomington Utilities, the Housing Authority, and Bloomington Transit continue to innovate and upgrade and be leaders in our state and region. That's collaboration and results we can be very proud of. A second last context point, this is a proposed budget that is the product of months of collaboration and listening to council members, to the public, including our three biennial city surveys with the forthcoming next year. We look forward to continuing that collaboration in the coming weeks. We began with meetings and discussions in specific and earnest in April on this budget with dozens of conversations and meetings that have since informed and shaped this budget, including, of course, the extensive debate and work on the new economic development local income tax and its designated uses. Next, Hamilton said the budget will be, quote, transformative, end quote, and that he hopes it meets the demand the city needs to thrive. The annual city budget is our single most important policy document. It reflects many interests, priorities, trade-offs. My job is to present a coherent and a balanced budget. I would also say a progressive budget to meet our times. State law outlines the process that we follow with lots of Bloomington additions and uh, 
extras. Tonight is my seventh budget presentation to this council, and no doubt this is the most significant of those seven. It is transformative. It is not an overstatement, in my view, to say that with this budget, we will be ushering in a new era for Bloomington. Out of the pandemic and recession and more, this transformative budget leads into a new future, into this decade of the 2020s. In a way, we are making Recover Forward permanent, instituting it into city plans and budgets with our focus on building climate justice, economic justice, and racial justice. Now we know also we face significant inflation and wage and hiring and retirement pressures as an employer. Like all employers, these are challenging times. And as a public employer, we note that democracy itself is under pressure. We have, I believe, a special obligation in these times as a government employer to make sure our city government is healthy and nourished up to the tasks of providing services and meeting the moment, and yes, sustaining a healthy democracy. If you believe that democracy is under serious threat, we have special obligations to make sure our local democracy embodied in our local government is vibrant and vital. He shared how he believes the 2023 budget meets opportunities and challenges facing the city of Bloomington. With Economic Development Local Income Tax, ED-LIT, and American Rescue Plan Act, ARPA, and other revenue, our general civil city budget proposed is $129 million. That compares to $107 million for the current 2022 budget, up $22 million, or about 20% from 2022 to 2023. The total budget, when you include utilities, transit, and housing authority, is $229 million, comparing to $178 million for 2022, or a 29% increase. I'm going to go into what these investments mean in a moment, and Controller Underwood will add details as well. Let us note that the healthy growth of our property tax levy and general income tax revenues, and in particular the new ED-LIT adopted by this council unanimously last spring, and continuing federal support, allows all of this. This transformative budget is best understood with three focus points. First, we strongly support city employees and all government basic services and affirm the central role of great public services. This budget helps us be a workplace of choice for all our employees. It embodies the notion that we have an ambitious and innovative city government that is an employer of choice, delivering cost-effective modern services in ways that advance the quality of life for current and for future Bloomingtonians. Second, we embrace sustainability, in particular with transformative investments in public transit and our climate action plan. We know this makes a stronger community. 
It embodies the notion that Bloomington is committed to addressing the climate emergency and building a sustainable, equitable economy. And third, we embrace inclusion and justice, a city that welcomes all and works for all. This embodies the notion that Bloomington is committed to being a safe, just, and inclusive community where everyone belongs and can thrive, including with good jobs, affordable housing, and inspiring arts and public spaces. Hamilton said the budget includes a 5% cost of living, an adjustment for non-union employees, and a $1,000 bonus to city workers. He expanded on how he hopes the budget allows the city to become a, quote, employer of choice, end quote. The uh, budget includes a $1,000 bonus to be paid quarterly to public uh, service employees, um, to all employees, I'm sorry, a $1,000 bonus to pay to all employees, with the exception of sworn BPD officers and dispatch staff who recently had their own significant adjustments. Third, this budget proposes a new deferred compensation matching program available to all employees, union or non, up to $780 per year, matching either two to one or three to one employee voluntary retirement contributions. That's a new program to support our employees. Fourth, this budget proposes establishing a primary care health clinic for employees and families by the end of the year. It also expands, uh, as we just announced last week, housing assistance to our first responders to include firefighters with police, including an $18,000 down payment for a house or $750 a month rent for those living in the city. The mayor said the budget would fund nine new public safety positions, including new positions for the police and fire departments. The proposed budget also contains investments in sustainability and climate mitigation which includes additional funding for public transportation. Hamilton outlined the proposed investments in Bloomington Transit. And of course, transit is entering a new era. This budget reflects a planned memorandum of understanding to invest just under $4 million in local dollars to expand public transit services. BT's annual budget leverages that local funding to grow from $15 million this year to $35 million next year. They already were awarded a new $7 million federal grant uh, to buy eight new electric buses uh, in no small part because of the support from the local money. And I just, I just wanna compare this very, very significant level of local support for climate with the federal. So stay with me just a moment. but. We just learned recently of the new federal $375 billion investment in climate that was part of the Inflation Reduction Act, an unprecedented level of federal investment for climate, direct climate work. Now, I, I know these aren't exactly apples to apples, but that was the big new federal program. That works out to $1,100 per capita in the United States over the next 10 years, roughly, that huge climate investment. Our local investment of $55 million, $5.5 million a year for the next 10 years, is the equivalent of about 
$650 per capita locally. So just chew on that, that we're, we're locally doing two-thirds the level of the national press unprecedented climate investment. So it's a really significant step for us. I'm really proud we're doing it locally, and I wanted just to share that comparison. Hamilton also included a $1 million investment to housing and an additional $1 million economic equity fund to support low-income residents. The city council met again at 6 p.m. on Tuesday to further hash out the 2023 budget. The city council will continue to consider the budget with a final vote expected on October 12th. To view the full budget proposal, visit bloomington.in.gov budget. Good evening, I'm Abe Shapiro, and here is this week's Disabilitin Report. In a CBC article published three days ago, quote, a Calgary family learned a rare genetic mutation was the root of their son's severe autism, and now they hope the discovery will lead to a cure, end quote. The family has partnered with the MSSNG Project, a collaboration between the Hospital for Sick Children, University of Toronto, Autism Speaks, and DNA companies Verily and DNA Stacks. According to a 2019 Autism Speaks Canada article, quote, launched in 2015, the MSSNG database started as a collaboration with SickKids and Google and shares data globally in 58 institutions across 16 countries, producing transformational autism research studies. This has included 18 newly identified autism risk genes. The project is the only one of its kind and has collected data from over 12,000 families using whole examinations of a person's DNA to build a database on autism. In responding to the CBC article, Dr. Steve Shearer, chief researcher at the Hospital for Sick Children in Toronto, said new technology is playing a role. Quote, lots of the pharmaceutical companies and biotech now have jumped into the game because they're very good at screening the existing compounds that they have against cells, end quote. The boy involved in the studies, Ishan Holloway, is a 17-year-old award-winning poet and has made significant behavioral and learning progress through therapies and interventions. The current research done by MSGG seeks to determine whether existing drugs can be repurposed to prevent the effects of the genetic mutation that Ishan has. Scheer said the study should remove any stigma. Quote, it explains why autism came about in that child. It's really a genetic change, and these are sporadic genetic changes that happen in all of our DNA. End quote. Our second story is one that will be covered over the next few weeks regarding a lawsuit in Westchester County, New York. Five years ago, Westchester on the Move, a disability rights organization, filed a lawsuit against transportation company Lyft in which the organization asserted that Lyft was violating the Americans with Disabilities Act by not providing wheelchair-accessible vehicles that accommodate non-foldable wheelchairs. Lyft officials appeared in a White Plains, New York court regarding these allegations two days ago. According to NBC News, quote, Lyft plans to argue that as a private company, they are exempt from the Americans with Disabilities Act based on Title III of the Civil Rights Act which stipulates that public services may not discriminate against individuals with disabilities. 
In responding to NBC, a Lyft official cited a lack of vehicle and driver availability as reasons why a solution to the issue of expanding access to wheelchair-accessible vehicles is difficult. The official said, quote, there is an extremely limited supply of these specially manufactured vehicles across the country, and even fewer among the population of rideshare drivers. Despite these obstacles, we're constantly working to improve the reliability of the service and find solutions to address supply challenges, end quote. Catch my interview next week with Westchester on the Move's attorney in the lawsuit, Jeremiah Fry Pearson. Our story will also feature a perspective from Lyft on the current trial. That's all for this week's Disabulletin. Abe Shapiro, WFHB News, Live and Learn. Up next, Red Flags on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. We turn to host and producer Richard Fish for more. Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. There are a zillion variations on the basic con games with new versions popping up all the time, and we can't report them all. However, the FBI has issued a short list of red flags that indicate fraud. So let's run that down. Funny money. Anyone who wants to be paid in an unusual way, using a gift card or sending money by wire transfer, or who wants payment in bitcoins or other cryptocurrencies, is probably a crook. Unless you're dealing with a personal friend or a family member, pay by check or with a credit card. Never send cash, never use a debit card, and anyone who wants to take money directly out of your bank account had better be someone you've met personally and know where they live. Too much money. If you expect someone to pay you and they send a larger amount and then want you to return the extra or send it somewhere you are almost certainly being scammed. Even if you deposit a certified check or a money order, don't touch that money for 30 days. No matter what anyone says, wait 30 days. Hurry, hurry! <coughs> the more urgent something is, the more suspicious it is. If you're being pressured to pay quickly or given a deadline that's coming up fast, you're probably being swindled. Stop and investigate, and if you lose out on the deal, you're a winner, not a sucker. Hush, hush. <coughs> Scammers want you to keep the deal secret. They don't want you to tell anyone else because whoever you tell might spot the fraud and warn you. If they demand secrecy, be very suspicious. Come here a minute. <coughs> Anyone who wants you to go to another place online or use another method to continue communicating is like the flim-flam man who beckons people into a dark doorway. Don't go. Funky English. 
Lots of con artists these days are in other countries and don't speak English, or at least not very well. Sometimes they use a computer translation program, but those almost never work perfectly. If words aren't spelled right or if the wording just looks weird, you're probably dealing with a faker. Hi there! <laughs> email from someone you don't know, email from out of the blue, and any email with a link to click should always arouse your suspicions. Hold your mouse over an email address or a link and look down to see how the computer reads it. If it's different, dump it. Confirmation, please! <laughs> Anyone who contacts you in any way and wants you to confirm your email or your password or anything else in your personal information is actually looking to steal it. If you find them and know for sure who you're talking to, it may be a different story. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at WFHB.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at WFHB.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break. Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. <laughs> 